Well, the trade deadline has come and gone, and I am whelmed. <laughs> I was, uh, as the news was rolling in for like the past, it seems like 100 years, but in all honesty, like four days, since probably the moment we stopped recording our uh, last episode, the news has been rolling in, I was waiting for that one thing for us either to be like screaming in joy or screaming in anger about and it this is uh the the whole thing has just been is what it is not there's been a lot of news a lot of like crazy important substantial stuff has happened just not necessarily with the red wings yeah like a, from the red wings perspective it's just kind of like yeah it was I, almost it, one of the very very rare instances on this podcast where I've predicted something and got it exactly right. Who's going to be traded? Jensen and Nyquist, and that's it. Uh, I said just one of them, and I said <laughs> just Jensen, didn't I? I think so. Yeah. Damn. Um, this was this rare instance where we gave the prediction of... We were a little off in the return, but we'll talk about that, of like what probably would happen depending on the circumstances, and we said go up or down from here depending on how crazy the market's feeling. But we just got like straight as an arrow, run in the mill. Nope, this fits in perfectly with everything around it. There was no, this person got fleeced or, you know, Ken Holland did this wrong and, or these players got moved unexpectedly. None of that. None of that. The deadline was as expected. Doesn't mean it's not worth talking about. There's a lot to unpack here. Oh, outside of Detroit, there were some unexpected things. Oh yeah, yeah. There, it gets crazy once you start leaving Michigan. But uh, we're gonna start off today uh, on today's episode with a well, let me see here cheesy opener, rehash joke, do the overview. Ah, all right. Topic one, we're gonna talk about Detroit's deals, uh, the implica- the deals and the no deals and the implications moving forward. Uh, topic two, I this was a typo on my list. I wrote NHL deads, but I wrote. I meant to write NHL deals, so... No, NHL deads? Deads. Ryan, you had the Red Wings written as topic one. <laughs> oh, the dead wings. <laughs> Maybe, actually, kind of. They're the deals around the league. And then uh, we're going to come back to Detroit for topic three, because there was actually a really uh, poignant and candid uh, press conference from Ken Holland um, and a couple other Detroit-related pieces. Uh, some other one-offs in the quick hits before we head over to um, a very impromptu overtime, but... Everyone was, I think, on their phone ready. So, I, <laughs> like, in 10 minutes, we had, like, 10 Patreon comments. So, uh, thank you guys for being on the ball with that. Uh, so, the Red Wings um, started off dealing uh, Nick Jensen on the 22nd, so three days ago, uh, to Washington. And that was actually, I, I think this is something that I mentioned in the last podcast, where it was it would be a good fit for Washington because they were looking for a similar thing to what they got in uh, Michael Kempney last year in their cup run, who is a depth defenseman who made a world of difference uh, in a decor that needed that stability. So the trade, as you all know, but we'll say it for the sake of saying it, was uh, Nick Jensen in a fifth-round pick, which is actually Buffalo's to start, going to Washington. And in return, Detroit gets a second-round pick in 2020. And Madison Bowie, uh, a young defenseman uh, from Washington's system. That was, in my mind, good trade. That was Ken Holland capitalizing on the market. The market prioritized young right-handed 
uh, defenseman who can play in a depth role or possibly a little bit higher if needed. Nick Jensen was the best available option at value in that role. Um, the whole league can't even find right-handed shooting defensemen, let alone rentals at the deadline uh, with options that are cheap. Uh, so Washington really did well for themselves. I, it, this is the consummate win-win trade in my mind. Yes, Washington got what they needed. They got him signed to a reasonable contract extension, four years, 10 mil. 2.5 million a year. Nick Jensen got his payday. Yeah. And Ken Holland got the second round pick he wanted. Plus, um, I think everybody's happy. I think everybody should be happy. This was, this was a win, win, win all around. Um, coming from the Red Wings perspective, I like it because Jensen's a good defenseman, but he's not a needle mover. The Red Wings have no issues with depth, which when we get to the Nyquist trade as well, it's going to be a, a theme. The Red Wings are very deep on their team and in their system with guys who can play middle six to bottom pairing roles. They Nick Jensen, as good as he's been this year, he's not a guy they need. They will find a replacement for him very quickly. Um, will he be as necessarily as effective in the next couple of years? No, probably not. But Detroit doesn't need whoever the replacement is to be effective in the next couple of years. Whether that's McIsaac, Lindstrom, Bowie, doesn't matter. Um, and again, the what the what Detroit needs is game breakers, Larkins, Jack Hughes, Nikita Kucherovs. This is what. Detroit needs, and the reason I say this, sorry, is, I'm just smiling at Jack Hughes's. That sounded <laughs> sound like from something from Doctor Seuss. Keep going. So Detroit needs game breakers, not depth. So a lot of people are saying, "Well, they're getting all these second round picks. They don't do you any good." Well, no. The, statistically speaking, these second round picks are fifty fifty to turn into an NHL player. Even less likely than that to turn into an impact player. But it happens. All Detroit and what Ken Holland is trying to do right now is they want as many darts to throw at the board, hoping one of them hits the bullseye. Nikita Kucherov was a second-round pick. Braden Point was a third-round pick. You can find these guys, albeit rarely, in the second, third, and later rounds. It's just long odds. But again, if you're going to hit a home run on one out of every 30 throws you make in the second and third round it helps to have 10 darts um we're going to come back to this next point i'm going to make when we get to the holland presser but just very quickly any gripe with ken holland at this point isn't should we rebuild or not or is he rebuilding on the flyer rebuilding this guy is rebuilding by the book rebuild some variations here and there and sometimes he gives lip service depending on what uh persona or what image he's trying to play up depending on like what's happening, markets, signings, what have you, or if he's just fed up with reporters. But what you just said is exactly correct. Philosophically, that is the way a rebuilding team should be conducting themselves, and that is the way Ken Holland has been running this team. That is, it is not a question whether or not he's doing that. You can have your gripes and, and philosophical differences, as I do personally, uh, with some of the moves Ken Holland has made, but these aren't, this isn't it. Like Ken Holland, in acquiring these picks has even come out and said recently, which is new for him, exactly what you've said, Brad. 
you need as many shots at this as you can. If you don't land Jack Hughes, statistically speaking, there probably is going to be a player as impactful as Jack Hughes in this draft or as impactful as Jack Hughes is supposed to be in this draft. And it might not be at pick one and it might not be at pick two. Why not take? Why not maximize these odds? And you're right. Uh, I tweeted out when, when Jensen got traded and I tweeted out uh, something similar today about Glenn Denning. These are good hockey players. They are effective hockey players. They are not the problem in Detroit, but they're valuable. Their value is also circumstantial. Detroit isn't in a position to maximize that value. It's a, it's the square peg in a round hole thing. It, it just doesn't work here. There's, yeah, value to having a square peg. Trade it to a team who has a square hole and in return get some... I got myself mixed up with my shapes. Round pegs, right? The the you Detroit's value right now is in these dart throws. Jensen is not a needle mover. He's not a game breaker, but he's effective for a team who's looking to make a run. Washington is looking to maximize on what is already an extended window. They want to get that depth on defense. Uh, Toronto, for example, when they want, or every year they're rumored to uh, want Glenn Denning, they want to have that stability on the fourth line, someone who can be effective uh, on the fourth line and, and give them a little bit of depth, especially on the PK and in a shutdown role. Yeah, a, a PK shutdown player who's really effective and beloved by fans is great if you're a Stanley Cup t- contender. If you're the Detroit Red Wings who's winning 20-something games a year, what's the what's the point? Doesn't matter. Everything Ken Holland does from this point has to be with finding a game-breaker in mind. And again, I'm saying game-breaker like franchise player, but hell, even if it's your number two center, Detroit doesn't have one of those right now. We're going to talk about Athens see you in a bit. But for all intents and purposes, like you look at Detroit's Red Wing, Detroit Red Wings lineup over and over and over again, and the way the roster was constructed on Sunday in the game against Tennessee was a perfect example. Their wing was loaded. They they had Philip Zadina playing third line left wing, and you looked at the players on the four wing spots above him, and you're like, you know what? Actually, yeah, no, that's kind of where he has to fall, um, and Rasmus and all that. But Franz Nielsen was still the second line center, and Luke Glendening was the third line center. That's the problem. Now, you can also argue, well, again, long odds, but let's narrow down the specifics of this. Let's look at the Detroit Red Wings recently. Gus Nyquist was a fourth-round pick. Tomas Tatar was the last pick of the second round. Andreas Athanasiu was a fourth-round pick. Peter Mrazek was a fifth-round pick. Recent drafts, Joe Valeno, Jared McIsaac, late first, early second-round picks. Detroit has had success finding guys that are valuable contributors to their team outside of the first round. So we can sit here and say, yeah, well, we I would have loved to first. We would have all loved first for everybody, but it's not going to happen. You still need to do the trade for this reason exactly. Mm-hmm. And again, we're also ignoring the obvious here. You can take him at his word or you can say he's lying. Ken Holland was trying to get Jensen and Nyquist under contract. They weren't signed. So they got traded. Meaning Ken Holland did not see them at a price that he felt valuable that they were willing to accept. So he moved on and he got something for him. This is trade deadline 101. I don't think he smashed either of these trades out of the park. I think they were fair. And again, going back, circling back specifically to the Jensen trade, the second round pick was what he wanted. Madison Bowie's a kicker. Cool. He kind of fell out of favor in Washington, wasn't getting a lot of ice time. So everybody started dumping all over Madison Bowie because he was having a negative impact year. 
He's 23 and five years younger than Nick Jensen and was a kicker in the trade. If he doesn't pan out, oh well. Who cares? If he pans out to be the number six defenseman for the Detroit Red Wings, fantastic. That's that's a hell of a good kicker for a trade like this. It means Detroit got a younger Nick Jensen and a second-round pick for free. If that's what happens. If not, they still got a chance at having a player who was replaceable to the team in the circumstance that I talked about and that amazing giant dart that's the size of a second-round pick. Uh, Madison Bowie, for a a little bit of uh, background on him, uh, like Brad mentioned, he was born in 95. He'll he'll turn 24 in April. Um, Was a young guy who had some promise in Washington, but they didn't see developing at the rate that they wanted. And like Brad said, kind of fell out of favor. A lot of a lot of raw potential, a lot of promise. Uh, played some hockey out west where Detroit has a very strong scouting program. So they were familiar with him as a player. So this is a guy, this wasn't just something that uh, Washington threw in and said, all right, we'll sweeten the deal with the, like this guy. No, Ken Holland sought out Madison Bowie as his kicker. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if he wanted him specifically in the package and then added the fifth to make it worth it for Washington. Um, that fifth-round pick being Buffalo's, so De- it's not like Detroit lost theirs. Um, it's not something I'm holding my breath about. If I had to predict it, I'd say Madison Bowie at best turns into the number 6-7 guy. If not, just not on the roster in a couple of years. But that's not the point. And remember, Detroit didn't spend a draft pick on him. They didn't develop him. They have nothing holding them to this guy. So if over the course of the rest of this season and next season, Madison Bowie just completely flames out. Oh, well yeah, move on. They, they don't, they can cut ties with him guilt free, worry free without wasting a ton of development time, assets, roster spots, and a draft pick on him. They have no tie to him other than, Hey, let's hope grade for that trade. What would you give it? B. Really? Yeah, it's a I, good, it's a it's a good trade. It's a good value trade. Um, given the lack of a rental market, I I think the kicker had potential to be a little better. But whatever, I'm 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 content. I'm whelmed. I would optimist. I would I the optimist in me, the the Ken Holland apologist in me, gives that one an A minus. I I like the fact that Nick Jensen at the beginning of the season, no one would have ever predicted him getting a second round pick, and Holland got a second round pick for him. Depending and in 2020, Washington should be worse in 2020 so that pick is even a few spots higher theoretically <laughs> and depending depending on your your feelings versus uh, madison bowie versus um a conditional third round pick the joke we i made on the podcast with max might have actually come to fruition <laughs> about imagine saying nick jensen got a better return than guess nyquist it, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I prefer the conditional third round pick, truthfully, but hey, the argument can be made. Honestly. And with that, we'll go to the the huge Red Wings news that felt like a gut punch, but we, even though we all knew it was coming. So for well, a little, we, did, we didn't know it was coming. I I, I was leaning those uh, last couple of days. I was leaning towards an extension was coming. You really you thought so? Well, once once actual tangible numbers got leaked, I thought for sure an extension was coming. Uh, well, well, it started out with, I think it started from Helene St. James that uh, the Nyquist camp came in with, the, he wanted $5.5 million a year by Over five, five years, years yeah. which was not something where if I'm the GM of the Red Wings, I would ever do. But I also understand that as a starting point in a negotiation from Nyquist camp. But the immediate news coming back was Holland or the, and the organization kind of like scoffed at it, like there's no way. Probably both price and term. I, I would see them being comfortable with that price. 
Five and a half for Nyquist is probably the right number. I would have I would have felt comfortable with five to five and a half by three years at most in my mind for that number. Four years I could I could stomach. That 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 is legitimately what I thought was going on. I, I would have guessed that Holland was looking for three, Nyquist has five. I thought they would have split the difference at like five point two five to five and a half. I that that is what I was imagining happening in my mind. So when I saw the trade actually come down, I was a little surprised again, especially considering the context of we have more information now. But at the time, Nyquist had an NTC. He could have been like, "Nah, man, give me this contract, or I'm walking for nothing at the end of the year because I ain't waving to go nowhere." It didn't go down that way, but that was very much something Nyquist could have done. He's like, "I want five and a half by five. You can have me as a player for the next five years, or you're getting nothing out of me." The part that really surprised me was the fact that there was news coming back that the organization what like the the way this organization leaks information is one they don't typically and two it's always very favorable towards the player they are very careful with the way information is framed to make it always look like detroit is a fair uh good destination for free agents and players coming in especially in dealing with with administration so when i saw oh yeah the organization wasn't having that and like look at the numbers we just disagreed on the numbers but by what, like a year and a million? That's nothing in the first steps of a, a year and like a five hundred thousand. Yeah, that so that deal could have gotten done if the Red Wings wanted it to. And once you saw the news that they didn't like that number or that term, you're like, I I thought, oh, he's getting traded. So it was after the San Jose game, funny enough, in which we live streamed um, Zadina's first game, which we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> there were some jokes that you know he was going to go to the, the San Jose's locker room at intermission, the, the typical jokes and. San Jose was always projected to be a destination. Um, I'm going to bed. It's been a long day. It's been a long few days of tweeting, long few days of, of hockey news. And I put my phone on uh, a sleep cycle app and it's supposed to put it on do not disturb. And I'm in bed and I see the ceiling light up, light up. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to put it on do not disturb. And, and I look, I'm like, one more notif- notification. I'll just look at it. I look, my phone unlocks and it's the Nyquist trade. And I'm like, at midnight, Kenny, God damn it, why? <laughs> why I'm tired. And so I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. And it all explode like in a matter of 10 minutes, the deal like was suggested, um, announced, and then made official with all terms released. By like 1230, we were already hashing out every single aspect of that deal. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, which is literally none of you, none of you, uh, the Red Wings traded Gustav Nyquist to the Sharks um, at an ungodly hour in return for a 2019 second-round pick and a 2020 conditional third-round pick. Two conditions on it. Uh, it turns into a second-round pick in 2020 if the Sharks advance to the Cup final, or second condition if Nyquist resigns with the Sharks. Both of those are probably less than likely for different reasons. Um, Man, I don't know. San Jose's got to be one of the favorites to come out of the West at this point. Well, look at everything that happened today. How can you confidently put them over Winnipeg or Nashville or Vegas? Well, here's the thing. Again, talking, getting back to similar that we talked about Columbus, I'm not necessarily looking at Nashville or Winnipeg. I'm looking at their division right now. Calgary acquired Oscar Fentenberg today. <laughs> End of list. They you guys missed out on Jimmy Howard. Keep your first round picks, yeah, whatever. And they're going into the rest of the season with David Riddick and Mike Smith. Um, Nashville, uh, Vegas has been ice cold lately, but they did go out and get Mark Stone. So I think that's now San Jose and Vegas's division. 
to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Vegas can catch up at this point, but once playoffs start, right? I don't hate San Jose's odds to get out of the Pacific and go to the conference final there. Man, one playoff series, anything can happen. I would, oh, argue, sure I would argue right happen. now San Jose is the favorite to come out of the Pacific, which means they, if that happens, they are one playoff series away from the finals. Again, statistically speaking, it's not likely there's eight teams vying for that one spot in the West, but man, if San Jose is not in your top three to come out of the West, you probably don't watch much hockey. I'm not, they're one of the favorites for sure. I'm just saying it's not, it's no, no. kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, it's 100% a crapshoot. Hockey's the flukiest sport. For sure. Regardless, let's talk about that return. Um, and, and there's going to be some more details surrounding this once we get to the rest of the NHL's trades. This return was different than what we expected after, like, say, the Brian Boyle trade, but very much in line with the Red Wrestle League once the Zuccarello trade went out. And Zuccarello got a very similar return. Um, uh, ignoring the conditions, he got the same return. Yeah, ignoring the conditions. The, the conditions are the difference in my mind, which would made which would have made me a lot more happy with this. I was a little underwhelmed with the trade. I'm not thrilled, but like I can't be too disappointed in it as a fan um, because this was very much dictated by the market. Nyquist was in a class with other players who realistically it would have been more beneficial if they moved sooner that were more attractive. They were younger. They were more cost-controlled for longer. They might have had a little bit better output. Their price might have come down. In my mind, I really thought Zuccarello... Zuccarello got traded to Dallas and then promptly injured um, for a conditional second and a conditional third, but both of those could become first-round picks. But Um, those are even less likely to hit than Detroit's condition on Nyquist. I would be surprised if Dallas plays... Uh, until the conference finals and Zuccarello has to play in 50% of the games and he's about to miss like five weeks with injury um, or the second one is if the Stars re-sign Zuccarello uh, re-sign maybe but yeah uh, I don't think I don't even know if it's physically possible for him to play 50% of the games unless it's 50% of the playoff games I didn't actually check on that stipulation to see if it was total games regular season games or playoff games Dezingle uh, got Dezingle in a seventh, which is nothing, got two second-round picks in Anthony Duclair from Columbus. So, good return in my mind for Dezingle. Yeah, the Dezingle trade was better than the Nyquist trade. That was the one that left me a, a touch salty. But, again, when this trade broke on Sunday yeah. night, there were three reactions I was seeing. People who didn't care about the return, they were just upset that Nyquist was gone. Which I tried to take myself out of that camp because Gus, well, anybody who's been listening to this podcast for oh, since we started knows Nyquist has been one of my favorite players on the team since then. So it stung, but there were those people. There was the people who were like, well, yeah, yeah, that's about what reasonably we could have expected. And then there was the majority of the people who were angry. Oh, what a garbage return. I can't believe all we got was a second and a third round pick. This was the Brendan Smith trade. Yada, 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 yada. It's as if, not that all of these people listen to the Winged Wheel podcast, but anybody who has been, what have we been saying for the last month at least? <laughs> this market is so watered down with the sheer volume of forwards available that even though Gustav Nyquist is easily worth a first round pick, it doesn't mean he's getting a first round pick because any team has their choices of options. How many wingers were traded today? Mark Stone, Wayne Simmons, Gus Nyquist, uh, Matt Zuccarello got traded yesterday. Um, Cliff Poo. 
<laughs> I Ryan, don't know what position he plays. Ryan Dezingle. Like, there was, there was tons. And none of them. Not one first-round pick exchanged hands for a winger. Not one. The only first-round picks that got exchanged were for a defenseman, Jake Muzzin, a center, Matt Duchesne, and another center, Kevin Hayes. It's worth noting. That was it. And Brad... Like it's we're getting into technicalities. Yeah, Stone's return was he got a huge prospect. Eric Brandstrom is an absolute stud, but he's better than a first round pick yeah, at this point. Yeah, but that being said, it's insane that a guy of Mark Stone's caliber with extension couldn't get a first round pick on top of that. Yeah, which that, we'll get into that later. Yeah, but. that one that's a funny one because we'll yeah. get to that one. So the the, the Nike was trade when it happened. I saw it. My immediate I was pretty disappointed at first, and then I like realized, all right, you got to. Figure out a few things. Saturated market. We don't know what's happening with his no trade clause, um, which it has since come out in Collins Presser that Gus only vetoed one. Like said no to. Po- they asked for his no trade list, and he put one team on it. That's otherwise known as the Ottawa Senators list. I would pay money to see who that team is. I would guess Ottawa, but I would pay money to see that who that team was. I would bet all of the money I have, which is not a lot, um, but it, that. It was Ottawa. But again, Nyquist only gave them one team. Why would he give them a team that wouldn't be in the market for a rental? You don't like. Well, you never know. You, you never know. Yeah, that. that's fair. So the saturated market, the no trade clause at the time, and the fact that they were presumably far apart on contract talks. Those are a few things that come into play. So in my mind, am I thrilled with this trade? No. Is it standard? And did it almost have to happen? Yeah. My grade, B minus. Couldn't do much better. Maybe even a B, depending on how forgiving I want to be. Couldn't do much better given the players that moved around him. So, yeah, it sucks But in terms of value that you lost, but that's just the reality of dealing with the situation that you have. The real gut punch for me is, like, the analysis, the object- objectivity all swept away, and I, as a Red Wings fan, was, like, heartbroken. We love Gus, and this was... I almost hesitate to say the first real window, but the most impactful view into the pains of a rebuild. It's not fun. It's not fun as a fan. It's not fun as a player. Gus, by all rights, should have been with the Red Wings his whole career on a competitive team competing for Cups. Obviously, you would want that for every player you like, but if you had to pick a few guys on the team, he's one of them that deserved that. And you know if he had a choice, he'd want to stay with Detroit. He was beloved beloved by fans doesn't matter what you thought about him i have hardly seen a negative word about gus nyquist and that isn't you know a mistake or by chance like he, that guy's a red wing through and through and he's done so much for this team and it's just yeah this one hurt this one hurt a lot here's one thing we haven't mentioned about this trade if i'm gonna take the optimistic view of this i hope we're gonna say the same thing here He's still a UFA July 1. No, that's not what I was going to say. So if he, if he doesn't get a better offer elsewhere and he wants to come back to his five and a half at three or four years, Detroit can still be the team that gives it to him. Uh, I, I wouldn't, depending, but I'm just saying for any of you who are heartbroken he's gone, there's nothing that says he can't come back. I, I, again, I would not bet it on rarely it. Ha- it rarely happens this way. It really rarely does. Um, and he's going to a, a cup contending team, so... Typically, when players go from bad teams to cup contenders, they like their new situation enough to stay. And in California weather. Yes. Um, 
what I was going to say is now I have an excuse to buy those stealth black sharks third jerseys. Oh, <laughs> that was one of the first happy thoughts that came to my head. Oh, in this I, trade. If I had enough money to burn on that, I would already own a Carlson. Well, <laughs> so I, the thing is the sharks have a lot of cap questions this offseason, especially with Carlson, because that extension has not been signed yet and it might not be signed. Carlson might play the market as a UFA. Um, so they won't know about keeping Nyquist until they know about Carlson for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, the rest of, so the, those were the only two Red Wings traded. Now, I don't get to give a grade on the Nyquist trade. Oh, yeah, give your grade. It's a B. Yeah. Market value. Kenny basically nailed market value on both players based on what the market dictated. Now, that being said, if I had to give Kenny's overall trade deadline a grade in his last two weeks, I'd give it a B plus. That's fair. Because I, I've been saying for a while, the direction of this team, I think what happens at this trade deadline is going to determine a lot of things and as to where we can objectively determine Kenny's what Kenny's mindset is. He Nick Jensen signed a very reasonable contract extension with Washington, so we know the numbers he wants. Helene St. James is probably more inside the Red Wings front office than anybody else, and she tweeted numbers about what Gus was asking. Again, a little on the long side, but very reasonable. Kenny said no to both. Kenny just said, nope, I'm going to trade you instead. So he was still looking for uh, the not to get older, not to hand out too long bad contracts to old, I'm not going to say mediocre players, but like not, not superstars, right? And he openly admitted that he was ready to trade Cronwall if the right offer came along. He's ready to, he, he was, sounded like he was more than ready to trade Jimmy Howard, but openly admitted that there just, there wasn't a market for him, like at all. So it appears as though his mindset is very much in the right place, which that, is which is a positive. Objectively, did he make all the right decisions? Yeah, I probably, if he was looking for a second for Luke Glendening, he didn't get it. He didn't trade him. We know this now. I, maybe he got a third offer, and if he didn't pull the trigger on that, I'd be a little disappointed. But hey, his his mindset is in the right place, and that was my biggest concern. That's something where we've kind of been like reading between the lines lately. Uh, that mindset. Oh, hey, actual news while we're uh, recording. What's that? Eric Stahl signs a two-year extension with the Wild. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, th- that Holland. He's been saying a lot of things like, oh, yeah, we could keep these guys. And we've been kind of reading between the lines on this podcast saying, yeah, this sounds like something you say to drive the price up or to guarantee a sale. And it, it was nice to see that come through. For me, this isn't a revolutionary thing that kind of like fixes all the mistakes in my mind that Ken Holland has made. But you're exactly right. This is where he should be. And it's so relieving to hear him say that. Run of the mill is pretty much the gold standard and what we could have expected considering some of the decisions that have been made in the past. So to see him not hand out another like other long contracts in very tempting ways, in ways where even people in full support of a complete teardown and rebuild might have been given out these contracts. To see him have that calm and composure and not hand out those contracts riddled with no no move clauses this time, 
that took a lot of fortitude and that took a lot of departure from his typical tactics as a general manager. So I do applaud Ken Holland for that. I give him credit for it. Yeah, that was, that was very eye-opening and the exact opposite. Because I thought, I'm like, Nick Jensen's in a position of strength here. He could easily ask for like three and a half over five years. For sure. He signs two and a half over four. And I'm like, wow, that was expensive for Kenny. That's a whole new Kenny Holland. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to qualify these next points with, I'm not angry that these trades didn't happen. I repeat, I am not angry that these trades didn't happen. I value stocking picks. I am not going to lose sleep over a fifth or a sixth or a fourth and a seventh. That is of no, like, at the end of the day, you cannot be getting angry over these little things. But we're going to, I'm going to talk about a few things. After the uh, Nyquist trade happened, we figured Detroit was done because there's not really a market for Howard. Uh, Some tweets came out saying that teams uh, were asking about uh, three players, Vanek, uh, Glenn Denning, Howard. Howard very lightly. And apparently Cronwall. And, right, and Cronwall. Uh, Howard very lightly. That's the only other player that Ken Holland has said he wanted to move for the right price, but the other three were a surprise. Kind of. Cronwall's a weird one where I think he's just existing on name value. Columbus wanted Cronwall uh, and actually only moved on to Adam McQuaid, who they traded for, for a fourth and a seventh, which I imagine the price would have been similar for Detroit. After Detroit said, no, Cronwall doesn't want to be traded. So Cronwall didn't want to be traded, invoked as no trade or whatever, and they respected that legacy. In my mind, the right move. We've said through and through, Nick Cronwall deserves to retire a Red Wing. This return is like whatever in the end. Let the guy retire a Red Wing. He, this, this is his last year. Like, that's it. Um, Thomas Vanek. Boston apparently inquired about Thomas Vanek and Thomas Vanek. Yeah, apparently there was, they must have been very close to actually having a deal because they they, they asked apparently him. Vanek was approached about waiving his NTC for Boston and he said no, which is his right. And I can't imagine anything coming back for Vanek would have been any greater than a fifth round pick. No, so, which is why I gave that qualifier yeah, before. So which, whatever. the the I take that as a promising sign because it means Kenny was still looking. Even yeah. though he knew it might not happen or probably wouldn't happen, he still got proactive about it and said, you know what, let me ask him. Right, and that's, that is, I was so surprised, I was shocked. I I was impressed that he even, like the fact that he even spoke to Cronwell about it means that he's doing all the right things as a general manager. We'll we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, because I am going to have a massive criticism coming up later in the episode. Yeah, but here's the thing. These no trade clauses. Again, I'm not concerned about the fourth or the fifth or the seventh round pick that Detroit missed out on. But is this not, in general, a big glowing neon sign saying stop handing out no trade, no move clauses? To be fair, outside of Vanek, I don't think it's been a while since he's right. But it's been a while because he signs a lot of deals for five, six years or whatever the hell it is. Right? Like it's not these situations. The Vanek one is like, yeah, he wouldn't have come here on a one-year deal. I argued that he shouldn't have been signed in the first place, but I digress. It's, again, nothing to lose sleep over, but just I'm speaking about the overarching habit. I hope this is something Ken Holland can learn from and say, in a different world, I would have had more flexibility than this and would have been able to maximize my assets and movements here. Franz Nielsen even has a modified no-trade no clause. Like, these... Don't worry, Ryan. Nobody's asking for that contract. What? Well, okay. <laughs> uh, the good Branson got traded today. 
Anybody can be traded. I know. But this is Pittsburgh, the team that gave Jack Johnson five years. They have they, no Pittsburgh's clue. exist in the league. People were asking about Nick Cronwell right now. That is yeah, insane. That's, that's fair. That's a good point. We're in the weeds with this, and so it's easy for us to parse out what players' values are like in, at any given moment. Like, we know we and this isn't to say we're smarter than everyone else, but as Red Wings fans, all of us here, but we, we are sorry, <laughs> all of us, even like the listeners too, will know what Nick Cronwell is worth tangentially at any given point, more so than the rest of the league would at any given point. But the fact that we've there's been multiple rumors like about Nick Cronwell, about Thomas Van, like these guys should not be worth anything. Good Branson should not have been ever dealt. It just doesn't make sense, but it exists. And so you really do need to be maximizing your opportunity to get out of bad situations. Again, this isn't about Vanek's one-year deal. I'm not losing sleep over, over that. It's not about you know not trading Cronwell right now. What is a, a seventh-round pick or a fifth and a seventh to ruin the guy's like le- like legacy? You need some happiness, some sense of attachment, like intimacy with your your team and with the fan base. I'm happy to not throw that away in Cronwell's face. But I hope he learns. Someone on on Twitter was replying to Greg Krupa's tweet and said, Holland has a bowl of NTCs in his office. (laughs) Which is actually hysterical. It's right next to the Werther's original. Yeah. So we're going to come back to this. More Red Wing stuff, not trade stuff necessarily. Yeah. The trades in the rest of the league. So um, this was a pretty active deadline. This was a really fun deadline. It wasn't, and then it was. It wasn't, then it was. <laughs> so it started off, uh, I think we talked about the Hagland trade on get, the let, last episode. We got to work biggest down here, man. You want to work biggest we down? We cannot not start with Mark Stone. Here. All right, let's start with Mark Stone. Uh, oh. 15 minutes before the deadline, was it? About, yeah. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my take on it right off the top. Ottawa came out of this trade deadline, this whole year, this whole trade deadline, and this trade at a loss. Pierre Dorian did great with what he had, and I will stand. I will die on that hill. Yeah, no, I, I actually, it's funny. I objectively look at all three of the major trades Ottawa made in terms of assets returned, and I go, nice, well done. I think Ottawa is still the biggest losers of this trade deadline. Absolutely. Because they lost their three, they not lost, they could not re-sign their three leading scores. And all six of their leading scores from last year are no longer on the team. There's rebuilding and there's going nuclear. This is off. You we complain and whine and bitch and moan like a bunch of two-year-olds as Red Wings fans. Could you imagine being a Senators fan right now? I was talking to my friend. I've been messaging my friend who's a huge Ottawa fan. Um, and I'm like actually consoling him, saying, don't worry, man. Melnick will be out. You guys still somehow retain Shabbat. Uh, Kachuk, though. you still have Brandstrom. Like, somehow, they, 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 they shouldn't have been in this situation. It's not like they needed to rebuild. They had what was the best defenseman, maybe still the best defenseman in the world. They have uh, Thomas Shabbat. They had Mark Stone. Does it, like, they had a, a very stacked prospect pool. Yeah, they, were, they could have been constant contenders in the East. You don't tear down a team with a 24-year-old Mark Stone. <laughs> like, that just doesn't happen. Um, but because their owner has created one of the biggest hockey tragedies in recent memory, this is the cir- circumstance. I feel so bad. I feel heartbroken for Ottawa fans as long as Melnick is the owner this is going to continue and it's to the point where TSN a Canadian 
operated news broadcasting company, sports broadcasting company, openly on national television with millions and millions of viewers are calling it out for what it is. And kudos to them, by the way. They put on a great show today. Um, they were calling it out for what it is. And they said, Melnick is like, all this talk about spending the cap. And like, no one believes you, Melnick. And I was like, I'm so impressed because this is, like, no one does believe him. He's he's ruined the Ottawa Senators. It's it. Like, the fact that no. Pierre Dorian had to make these trades is, there is no word in the dictionary to describe how ridiculous it is. Preposterous, obscene. It's not, it doesn't make sense. Um, Eugene Melnick is a hockey terrorist. Like, <laughs> there, and there's the episode title. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sorry, but like, this is just, this should not have been happening. Pierre Dorian, I, I've had a lot of criticisms in, of him in the past. And you know what? Put this on your resume, buddy. You did a great job with a crap, crap ha- hand you got dealt. So... Let's dive into the trades now. So the first one was Mark Stone. Well, that we're going to first one that we're going to talk about was Mark Stone to the Vegas Golden Knights mm-hmm. for Eric Brandstrom, a 20, 20. 20 second round pick. Yeah, Dallas's Oscar and Oscar Lindbergh, right? Yeah. Okay. And in return, they got Mark Stone and Tobias Lindbergh. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So. We're talking about a rental, a pending UFA forward rental in Mark Stone. That is a fantastic return for Eric Brandstrom is a stud. If you haven't, I I saw a few people sarcastically tweeting me when I said that Ottawa lost his trade, which I'll get to why in a sec. Um, They're like, I've never even heard of Eric Brandstrom. Eric Brandstrom looks like the second coming of Eric Carlson right now. Undersized. Highly offensive, skilled defense, Swedish defenseman. He's like 0.75 points per game in the AHL as a teenager. The way as he a can, defenseman, the way he handles and moves the puck, you would think that he's a centerman. He's, I think, a year older than Philip Zadina, if not the same age, and he's putting up the same points this year in the AHL as Philip Zadina, roughly, as a defenseman. He's. He were real good. So you're getting a prospect like that in return for a rental. You're doing fantastic. So they now they somehow Ottawa came out of this with two top pairing defensemen in, in Shabbat and Brandstrom. Yeah. And and the second round pick again, it's a good pick. Second round picks are very valuable. It's another dart at the board for Ottawa. Here's the thing though. I feel like that's a good return for one playoff run of Mark Stone. Well, that's what Vegas paid. For eight and a half years. Eight years. Oh, yeah. Eight and a half years of Mark Stone. So that trade couldn't have been finalized. So apparently the rumor is what had happened here was Ottawa agreed to this trade, but Vegas said only if we extend him. So Pierre Dorian said, okay, talk to him. So his agent and whoever got on the phone, they hammered out a deal. They said, yep. Because this contract can't actually officially be signed till Friday, uh, for the some weird CBA stipulation. And I thought said, it was after three p.m. Nope, it's March first. Oh, and they said, "Yep, we have a deal. We've got Stone for eight years. Let's do this trade." So Pierre Dorian made that trade knowing that it wasn't a rental trade. I mean, oh come on! And they got him at like a fair price too. I thought they'd have to pay ten, eleven million. They got him at nine and a half for so, eight years, and. Mark Stone is a top five winger, top 10 at worst winger in the NHL. I understand that Brandstrom is a stud. 
but he's a prospect and there's no guarantees there. I would bet on this guy coming in and being a very good top three defenseman in the NHL, but that is not a guarantee. A second round pick has a less than 50% chance of becoming a regular NHLer. Oscar Lindbergh, I assume, was just cap implications because he's like 27 years old and not done anything in his NHL career. Here's the thing. How do you? How is that second not a first at the very least? Here's the thing. Oh, I mean, I think they gave it to Detroit. <laughs> to Detroit. No, I, I know that happened last year. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. Um, that was Valeno. So, here's the thing. Uh, Mark Stone supposedly was offered ten and a half for by, five for years. five years. Yeah. So they weren't. Ne- they were never going to get to the eight year extension at value that Stone deserves but as I don't know why. as because. Eugene Melnick. I know why, but I don't know why. I'm going to spend to the cap in 2020. Well, there would have been 10 and a half of it. I bet that if Ottawa offered him 8 by 10, Stone would have turned it down. Because why on earth would you want to play for that organization right now? (laughs) Why on earth? When he can get 9.5 by 8 years playing for a better team in the most exciting rink in hockey right now in a state that has no state income tax. Oh, Mark Mark Stone won this trade. Mark Stone won this tr- order of people who won the trade. Mark Stone, Vegas Golden Knights, Pierre Dorian, 50 blank spaces, a dog shit, 50 more blank spaces, the Ottawa Senators. It's, yeah, it was, again, I don't love that Dorian didn't get a higher price with the extension there because I would have said, here's the deal for him as a rental. But he's limited. Now go negotiate, and if he says, yes, that second's a first, buddy. Whether it's a 2020, 2021, doesn't matter. I think he was handcuffed, man. I honestly no, believe I, he was handcuffed. Like, I do. I can't believe Calgary didn't match that. But, well, um, that's the thing. Like, Calgary like, came out that Calgary was like, no, the price is too high. And you know when you see, like, the first price for players, they're like, they want Shellington and two first-round picks and another good prospect and a second or a third. Like, something ridiculous. And you're like, well, that's way too much and that should never be paid. But that's the starting point in any kind of – anytime you have an NHL superstar on the market. Um but then it came out that this was it, and we we're like, why didn't Calgary match it for cap implications? Because I don't think Calgary has the has the room or the ability to pay what Mark Stone would have wanted. I don't think Mark Stone would have taken nine and a half anywhere besides a uh, no income tax state. I think he would have been asking for north of ten. Good chance, and I'd still give it to him. But oh, I would. Yeah. But if they can't, they can't, right? No, I agree. But yeah, so Vegas comes out of this looking real good. Um, again, Vegas said they weren't in the market for rentals. Held true to their word. This is fantastic for them they because they kept their first round pick and they kept Cody Glass. That is messed up. That is messed up that they were able to do that. Depending who you talk to, though, I would say Brandstrom's a better prospect than Glass, but still. But still. <sighs> they also have a patch ready long term. They have Stastny for a couple more years. Now they have. They, they're they're going to be a good hockey team for a long time. The the way the draft lot... Like, I don't think George McPhee is a perfect GM by any standard. I think he's made some errors here and there. Um, but the fact that he was able to stack so many draft picks means he was able to overpay for Tatar, which turned into Pacioretty, which means he was able to make these kinds of deals. They are golden. I'm so sorry. It came to me. I couldn't steer away from it. It just <sighs> happened. Uh, again, Pierre Dorian did what he could. I think... You can't ignore the fact that the whole league knows that Mark Stone's going to walk. Obviously, he's going to walk if they don't get traded. This went down to 15 minutes before the deadline. I think he got, he squeezed out the most he could. Yeah. So now let's move on to his next work of art over the weekend. Yeah. So he he uh, moved. I think Duchesne is bigger than the Dzingle no. trade. No. 
Yes, of course he is. <laughs> uh, so Duchesne was the first player traded from Ottawa to Columbus. Um, so it was Duchesne and Julius Bergman, who's uh, just a minor league player. And I think Bergman's already been flipped to someone else. I can't remember yeah. who. In return uh, for Vitaly Abramov, Jonathan Davidson, a conditional first in 2019 and a conditional first in 2020. So the first condition uh, is if the 2019 pick is top three, the Senators will receive their 2021st instead. Um, that's <laughs> Basically, just, Jack Hughes insurance. Yeah, which is smart because Columbus, if by some like messed up reason they miss the playoffs after loading up, uh, they don't miss out on Hughes, Kako, or um, Pod Colson. And then the second condition is if Duchesne resigns with the Blue Jackets, Ottawa will receive Columbus's 2021st. But if the previous con- condition is invoked, then they'll get the uh, 2021 pick. If Duchesne doesn't resign, no pick is exchanged. So they get one first round pick, guaranteed. Possibly two. I wouldn't be surprised if Duchesne extends there. I, that du- seems like a strong uh, a strong fit. Duchesne is a guy who's been looking for a permanent home for a long time. Columbus seems like an organization that has a lot to lose in terms of star players. They'll be keen to lock down Duchesne, especially if Panarin walks. Yeah. If, uh, if they paid that price and they extend him, it's great. Um, Ottawa did well on this trade. They got a guaranteed first out of it. Uh, I don't love Davidson as a prospect. Abramov's intriguing, highly skilled, but also highly inconsistent. So that he could go a lot of ways still. But either way, they got their first and potentially a second first, which would be fantastic for them. Columbus, though. They are going. We're going to get to them more on the... Dis- well, let's just get to the Dizingle trade since it's kind of one larger trade. So the next day. The next day. Why not just do one big massive deal and have more fun with it? <laughs> That's why I tweeted out. Get free shipping. Why don't you put it all in one order and you pay for shipping twice? But they did Matt it. Because got that covered. <laughs> so we'll do the trade and we'll do the even better story. Uh, so the trade was Dizingle in a seventh for Anthony Duclair and two second round picks. Again... That's great value in my mind. That is fantastic. That's a great return for a player that you knew did not want to be there. The fact that you were able to get two second round picks and Anthony Duclair, who has had his trouble, um, has really kind of dropped off in terms of he's not been playing up to expectations in his years in the NHL. But you have a player with that much potential. It never hurts to take a home run swing, especially if you get two seconds. I think it would have been a fine trade without Duclair. Yeah. Um, well, after Tortorella's comments earlier this week, I think that was just a, please take him. Yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, long-time Columbus Blue Jacket for all of, like, 18 hours, Matt Duchesne, uh, chartered a private jet back to Ottawa to pick up his wife, his baby, his dog, and Ryan Dezingle. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody thought, oh, that's a funny joke. And then Matt Duchesne posted the pic of them all in the plane on Twitter. <laughs> the video is so funny. He's like, wife's ready, the dog's ready, Bobo, which is what they call his baby's ready. And then you look in the back, like three rows back, it's Dezingle, and he like leans over, he's like, hey. <laughs> it was such a moment of joy. <laughs> Not because it was funny. Because he was getting the hell out of Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that they checked to make sure that the uh, there was no dash cam on the pilots <laughs> in the pilot's cockpit. It was before the last trade went down, but my favorite reaction to that post was someone stopped the plane. I think Mark Stone's trying to chase it down. <laughs> <laughs> so Eugene Melnick even saved money because he only had to pay for shipping once. He got a return label and then just sent it back again. Oh. So man. all in all... If you lose Stone, Dezingle, Matt Duchesne all in one trade deadline, that hurts your team. Those are three great young players that no team should be losing all 
in one trade deadline. Ottawa fans, I'm so sorry. They truly are the biggest losers in this situation. Eugene Melnick has no soul, has no feelings, so he doesn't win or lose. He just exists in spite of all of us. Um, winners, in my again, I know how backwards this is to say, Pierre Dorian. You know what he just did? He guaranteed himself a job as an NHL GM in the future when he finally gets out of this mess. He really did because the fact that he got this return means that when Melnick finally is given the boot or sells the team through some act of whatever deity, um, Ottawa has a future to build on. It shouldn't have been the case, but they have assets. They have a future foundation to try again and hopefully escape this hellhole that is their, (laughs) their existence as a franchise right now. But let's talk about probably the biggest overarching story of the past five days, which is Columbus just swinging it this Man, trade deadline. Uh, you and Evan were against me when I said, hey, Columbus might just say screw it. I still think I wouldn't do this, but I'm not saying I'm I, right. I don't think I would either. But man, is did Yarmo just undo his zippers and let his big <laughs> brass balls just hang out? Big money moves. He was like, forget it. You can walk. You can walk. I don't give a shit. I'm getting this player, this player, this player. I'm unretiring Rick Nash. We're just getting six automatic goals a game. We have no draft picks next year. Who cares? I yeah, I don't think they have like... Five of their next six first and second round picks or something like that. I think next year they literally only or this year they have a fourth and two sevenths. <laughs> they could draft from home. They're just laying off their scouts at this point. We'll see you next year. The scouts are like, all right, whatever. They honestly, the most like what they're going to do is have to flip Panarin the rights to Panarin Bobrovsky for picks. They're they're just going to get to their first pick in the draft, and now on the clock is Columbus and Yarmo's just going to be like sleeping at the desk. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> Columbus, you're on the clock? Shit, we had one of those? Um, uh, uh, is that guy shit. taken? That Shit. Who's next on Yahoo's list? <laughs> Can we have that guy? Uh, sir, that's Gary Bettman. He's the commissioner. Is he available? <laughs> there- we'll take, we'll take John um, Thompson. Uh, which one? Out of America. <laughs> Which one? North? <laughs> All right. John Thompson. Projected to go in the 14th round. Columbus is really reaching here. No. So, okay. Here's the thing. I'm an old man. I'm a grump. Sometimes I, I play a little bit too safe. I view in five years, two years, one year, whatever, this is a team without Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin. Uh, those are two superstar caliber players, or potential to be. Uh, Panarin is Bobrovsky, depending on the season he's having. Um, that's not. There's no way. No one you could trade for possibly could recover for that. Yeah, Dzingel's great. Yeah, Duchesne's great. It doesn't replace those guys. So in my mind, I really think they should have dealt those guys um, and try to maximize assets for them while they could. That being said, Kekalainen looked at the market. He said. I'm not going to get what I want for them. And you know what? When are we going to have a chance to be this good for five months ever again? And like in the next five years, he said, forget the Ryans of the world. Forget the Evans. I want to swing for it. Yeah, I have to go through the absolute buzzsaw that is Tampa Bay or Toronto or Boston or whoever the hell else gets hot. And yeah, I have to come out for uh, come out of or beat whoever comes out of the West in that Thunderdome. Whatever. 
Let's do it. Who says we can't be? And again, I don't think they'll win. Look at their center depth. I don't think this is a squad that will win the cup. But Pierre you have to respond. Matt Duchesne. I mean, it ain't bad. It's not bad, but it's not what you would write down on a piece of paper if you had to think yeah. of an average center depth well, look to at win. Their defensive depth. Again, <laughs> I can a hundred percent see what Yarmo's doing. I don't necessarily agree with it, but God damn it, do I respect it? <laughs> That's what I like. It's not just that he said we're going to keep Panarin and we're going to keep Abrovsky and we're going to hope we do well. He's like, Nah, man. <laughs> We're keeping him and we're going all in. We're getting Duchesne and Dezingle and Adam fucking McQuaid for some damn reason. Hey, Keith Detroit, Kincaid. is Cronwall still there? Oh, we got two goalies. How about three? Keith Kincaid. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> is Kincaid necessarily an improvement or Corp- over Corpusalo? Who cares? We want him. <laughs> you never know. Corpusalo looks like he might get injured at some point. Oh, my God. It's... I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm glad I'm not a Jackets fan because, Christ, I could not handle this type of pressure right now. Oh, no. I would be horrified. Like, but this will be the most four months fun four months you'll have as a hockey fan. Because, like, we as Red Wings fans, we I can't sit here and say, oh, my God, it's so nervous when you get deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I was nervous every time Detroit went deep, but I always went, well, yeah. there's next year. <laughs> there is no next year for Columbus. This is it. <laughs> Your team changes shape next year. So you better swing and swing hard. Oh, my God. I hope whatever first round pick you gave up next year is lottery protected. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that will happen, but man, it might. No, their defense is too good to be that bad next year, but still. So fun fact, game 82 for Columbus is against the Ottawa Senators. There's a chance that Columbus needs one win and Ottawa knocks them out of the playoffs. Oh can my you god. Ima- I don't I would and it won't happen. But and, can you imagine? And here's my favorite part about Columbus going for it. They currently sit third place in the metro, okay? Islanders are first with 6 points of clearance, same games and same number of games played. We all know the Islanders are a house of cards right now. I have zero faith in them actually making a run. As great of a story as they are, I mean, they had Leo Komarov playing on the first line as recently as this week. <laughs> okay, when push comes to the shoves and the uh, comes to shove in the playoffs, I don't see them beating literally anybody. I, I think I would bet on even Montreal ahead of them at this point. Um, here's the thing, though, with Columbus, they are only one point clear of not being in a playoff spot. And that team that is sitting outside of the playoffs, one point behind them is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Because Carolina holds the eighth spot right now, and Pitts- and they are tied in points with Pittsburgh. So Columbus does not have any margin of error here. Yeah, you know what? When you make the kind of moves that Kekalainen did, I don't think he gives a shit where they are. <laughs> he does not give a... He walks into every meeting right now with a do-rag and a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> His confidence is so high, his dick enters the room 10 minutes before he does. Honestly, his his aura and ego just physically pushes people out of the way in a five-foot radius. His ego is so good, he's Ja Rule saying this isn't fraud. (laughs) He honestly made an attempt to trade for LeBron James this deadline. (laughs) He legitimately did. I have a source that told me that. And it is this dumbass bit that we're doing. he's bringing Anthony Davis with him. (laughs) Might as well. We need to have Allison on soon. Oh God, yeah, we we do. need Allison on. I'm gonna actually DM her. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> soon. That is the most. 
That is the most fun part about like the uh, rational. Maybe not. No. Most pragmatic. Probably not. Most fun. God, yeah. This is by far the most exciting deadline in recent memory. Maybe this most exciting deadline since we started this podcast four years ago. I think oh, it yeah. is. Oh yeah. Well, not from a Red Wing standpoint, but from an NHL standpoint. Oh no. God, yeah. Uh, some other deals that are noteworthy: Matt Zuccarello, which was. The deal in my mind that defined the value for the Nyquist trade got traded to the Stars. Some salary retained, 30% of it. Who cares? And for the record, getting back to the Nyquist, Red Wings fans were like, oh my God, and we retained 40%. We don't care. Yeah. On expiring contracts, it literally doesn't matter. Uh, And it's not like Detroit needed the cap space to bring in a player. Who cares? It literally did not matter matter i tweeted out that like when that came, part came out like oh man sharks really won this trade because cap space is important to them right now it's important for san jose yeah it everyone was like this detroit. doesn't matter for detroit i'm like no i know i'm saying it's good for the sharks like yeah. this was a trade that the sharks came out ahead in like in for yeah. by their own right yeah um zuccarello went to dallas and in exchange uh, the rangers got a 2019 conditional second 2020 conditional third we talked about it both of those could be first round picks yeah but the conditions are dallas has to go to the conference finals and re-sign zuccarello lofty yeah uh conditions but hey if they're gonna let you throw those conditions in them you get them in there the that that's what I really liked about the upside in that trade, and that I wish there was a twinge more of that in the Nyquist deal, which is yeah. just the this the thought of maybe a first. But I understand why it didn't happen. Again, you guys who listen know me. I'll be very quick to criticize Holland. That's coming later this episode. Um, this isn't. This just is what it was. You know, um, the it, Jets yeah. the night before uh, were out on stone. The Jets and the Flames essentially went out on stone at the same time. They're like, the price is too high. We can't be. We don't want to pay this for a rental. We can't be confident he'll resign. Uh, so they quickly moved over to Kevin Hayes uh, from New York, New York um, in exchange for Brendan Lemieux, 2019 conditional first, um, and a 2020 conditional fourth. So the conditional first is uh, lottery protected. On the off chance that Winnipeg misses the playoffs, which isn't happening. Yeah, because here come the Avalanche or the Coyotes. Uh, And the conditional fourth turns into a third if Winnipeg uh, wins the cup, which is essentially like, all right, whatever. Whatever. If you win the cup, you can have whatever. If if Detroit ever wins another cup, I really don't care what we have to give up to get it. Yeah. I'm sure Winnipeg's in the same boat. Uh, Florida kept moving out uh, assets. They moved Derek Broussard in a sixth to um, Colorado Colorado in exchange for a third-round pick. Adam McQuaid cool. was traded to Columbus in exchange for what they wanted Cronwall for. Uh, Calgary's only move was acquiring defensive depth by way of Oscar Fantenberg. Yes, the team that needs goaltending and scoring depth acquired a depth defenseman. The wild We're going to talk more about Calgary and my winners and losers of the deadline later in this episode. Uh, the Wild made some weird moves. That, was, that man, everyone was wondering what the surprise trade of the day was going to be of the deadline. Michael Granlund for Kevin Fiala. There you go. I don't understand what they're doing there. I understand perfectly what both teams are doing, but I it just came out of left field. Kevin Fiala is a project, a very similar player at his point in his career as to where Michael Granlin was at the same point in his career. All the skill in the world, but it just doesn't seem to be coming together for him. But Kevin Fiala is what? Five years younger than Michael Granlin? Minnesota is selling off. They don't care. They're in this for the long run now. They know they don't have a shot this year, and getting bounced in the first round doesn't appease them anymore. So Nashville is in their window now. They get the more polished player 
who's going to contribute right now in Michael Granlund. So basically, they swapped very similar players, one for the now, one for the future. It actually makes a ton of sense, but Minnesota's yeah. taking a, whisk, a risk here because there's no guarantee Fiala turns it around I or becomes his projection. Yeah, I would have preferred, preferred to have kept Granlund or sold him for more, regardless. Um, another notable trade that actually people aren't really talking about was uh, defenseman Brendan Montour from Anaheim was traded to Buffalo in exchange for Brendan Gould, is it pronounced? Gilly. Gilly. And uh, 2019 conditional first. That it, The condition is it's either San Jose's or St. Louis's, depending on positioning. It's, they've got some funny parameters in there. Um, the pick will end up being somewhere between 20 and 30. Um, honestly, good on Anaheim because Montour has not had a good year. But credit to Montour, he has been playing hockey for Randy Carlisle for a little while. Yeah, I think Montour is going to turn this around. I really like this trade from uh, Buffalo's Both. perspective. Buffalo has three first-round picks this year. Even though they're not a contender this year, they can afford to move one of those first-round picks. And odds are, if it's a pick 20 to 30, Montour's more likely to turn it around than one of those picks is to turn it out. We're all hyped on Joe Valeno at 30. We, You guys have to remember, once you get past pick 20, every statistical output shows it's a crapshoot. Yep. Picks picks 20 to 60, actually, there's very marginal, minimal difference between um, how often those picks turn out. So, um, hey, good. I really... Like, I understand what Anaheim was doing there. I don't necessarily love it from their standpoint. Um, but I do really like that trade from Buffalo standpoint. Getting, even if Montour just kind of turns it around, you know you're getting a good number five defenseman. Yeah, absolutely. With offensive upside. If that's the worst case scenario for Buffalo, fantastic. I'd happily move a late first round pick for that. Uh, and he's only, what, 24? Yeah, he's young. One of the pick, or one of the trades that came in, it was announced after the deadline, but obviously came in before 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Nashville acquired Wayne Simmons in exchange for uh, Ryan Hartman, who just last year they, they uh, paid a first-round pick for, and a 2020 conditional fourth that goes to a third if Nashville wins just one round in the playoffs. Um, I, honestly, I like that deal for both teams. I think Wayne Simmons is exactly on that po- at that point on the regression curve where his age, his name value is higher than his true value due to age. Um, I have a, a close friend who follows the Flyers very closely, and he mentioned that Simmons is kind of horrible on five on five right now. He is. Ron Hartman's had more five on five points this year so uh, than Simmons. They get a 24 year old center and a likely third round pick because I imagine Nashville will win one round, probably. Depending uh, on the way the West turns out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, the Central's kind of nuts. Have you seen St. Louis lately? Uh, and they, the Flyers really held out as long as they could because they wanted a crack at making the playoffs. But at this point, they, they did have to make the deal. And I like it from, from Nashville. You're trying to make... It's not about getting that game-breaking player when you're, when you're the kind of team that Nashville is. You're looking for the little difference makers in the playoffs. And Wayne Simmons has a ton of value that way. He's tough. He has is talented. He's experienced, and he knows how to win. I don't. I don't see a downside for either team here. I don't necessarily see a downside. I feel like Nashville just traded younger Wayne Simmons for Wayne Simmons, and a, and they gave an extra fourth. I don't think there's that substantial of a difference uh, between those players outside of, I guess you upgraded your net front on the power play. But if that's a difference, hey, if admit, that's a difference, all, I'm all for it. Nashville um, is, in, and they like, only give a fourth round pick, or maybe a third, which whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I don't, 
When you're in the I'm conversation on that trade, I just think like Wayne Simmons was a bigger name going into this deadline than Nyquist, Zuccarello, and um, Dzingel in a lot of people's minds, and he got a far weaker return than they did. Well, the, the thing is, if you're uh, a team in the Western Conference who is a cup, a true cup contender, because Nashville truly is, and other teams in the Western Conference just traded for or will have traded for Mark Stone and Kevin Hayes, you need to make your own moves. This was. Yeah, they like they have they're they're keeping up with the pack. And Granlin and Simmons do help. They do. They absolutely do. And so I get it from Nashville standpoint. Um, when you're when you're good enough, when you're on the cusp, it's not about you know looking at a chart and seeing does this line go up or down. Is it are we in the black or the red? You're looking. I hate to say it, but you're looking for the intangibles just as much as you're looking for the numbers. You're looking for those little anomalies that those differences in, in performance over a very small sample size. Uh, another trade that came in after the was announced after the deadline, uh, Marcus Johansson from uh, Jersey, which is another comparable for Nyquist, went to Boston in exchange for a second and a fourth, right in line with what Nyquist got. Cool. Uh, for some reason, the Pittsburgh Penguins traded for Eric Goodbranson. <laughs> can gave up Tanner Pearson for him. Can you imagine Goodbranson and Jack Johnson, a less formidable <laughs> defensive pairing? Jim Rutherford giveth, and Jim Rutherford taketh away. As soon as that trade went down, do you know who the the loudest applause came from? Philadelphia. Yarmo's big brass balls just started (laughs) clanging together out of pure joy. He's like, all right, boys, we're holding on to that playoff spot. Uh, The Leafs traded it away par Lindholm for Nicholas Patan or Petan. I can't remember. Nick Patan? Yeah. A failed, well, not failed, but... uh, a mediocre fourth-line center who's 26 years old in his first year in the NHL for a prospect who hasn't been able to hack it in the NHL for the last three to four years. Sure, why not? Um, and then there weren't too many other... Oh, Kevin Hay- the Kevin Hayes trade, of course. Uh, so Winnipeg traded... Uh, oh, we talked about that we one. We talked about yeah, that Yeah, yeah, sorry. I blanked. Um, the Michael Delzato got moved to St. Louis for sixth. So. Whoop-dee-doo. Yeah, that, those were the big stories. That is a lot. A lot of these trades came in right at 3 p.m. Um, the the docket or the hopper, whatever single fax machine that the NHL uses, must have been jammed the hell up. Um, but an exciting deadline. Pretty much the rich got rich. The, the overall theme was the rich got richer of this deadline. Which it is, really is. Which is what happens in most deadlines. Yeah, shut up, Brad. It's been a while since I had a, had a genuine shut up, Brad moment. All right. Winners and losers of the deadline. First winner, Vegas. Vegas Golden Knights. You get eight and a half years of Mark Stone at a decent contract and only have to give up one premium asset and another pretty good asset. You do that 100 out of 100 times. And so not only did they set themselves up for more success this year, they set them up for success for the next eight years. Other winners, every single Western Conference team in Stanley Cup contention, apparently. They all got stronger. Nope. My first losers in that category. Who? The Calgary Flames. Oh, yeah. You know what? I was excluding them. All the superpowers around you made significant strides to get better. San Jose got Nyquist. Vegas got Mark Stone. Nashville got Simmons and Grandland. Winnipeg got Kevin Hayes. And you're standing, just sitting there holding yourself because... Oscar Fantenberg was the solution. When Mike Smith implodes and Dave and you remember David Riddick's basically a rookie and James Neal is still not scoring, boy, you're gonna wish you had something. 
Yeah, there. This trade deadline will definitely look uh, be looked back on after the first two rounds in the playoffs because it, I think it will be a big difference maker. Again, there are a lot of teams in contention, and like what four out of five of them or three out of four of them yeah. all made big moves. They acquired huge players. Vegas, obviously, the big winner was Stone, and then Calgary got Fantenberg on defense. And again, I'm the type. I haven't even talked about this really that much in the last few episodes, but I'm also the type of guy that I think rentals are highly overvalued. Oh, I, I don't think they move the needle for a lot of teams. Out of everybody that was moved, the only player I think that was moved that's really going to move the needle for his team in a significant enough direction is Mark Stone. Since Panarin wasn't traded, I think Duchesne may be in Columbus, but as much as I love Gus, I don't think he's going to be what makes or breaks the Sharks. He helps. It's not about but, making or breaking, though. No, no, I, I get that, and they didn't have to give up a lot. So, But at the same time, I'm also of, hey, guess what, uh, Calgary? Had you ponied up for Nyquist? San Jose doesn't have him. Yeah, that's a big it's thing not- that people don't talk about. It's, yeah, like... Players get overvalued, but it's not so much about getting the players stopping other teams. It's from the doing equivalent it. of a four-point swing in the standings when you play that team directly. You, if you're 100%. two points behind them, you either tie them in the standings or now you're four points yeah. behind them. It's it's the same thing. It's if you acquire Nyquist, one of your rivals does not acquire him, and all of your rivals acquired someone except you. The like well, no matter which way you cut it, guys, one of you is going to have to play Winnipeg. <laughs> you got it. We're going to make you do it. So start getting ready, get dressed. And Trilliving was like, I like the clothes I have. I'm like, nope, no, those aren't winter clothes. You need warmer clothes. And he's like, ah, I think this is fine. Very well might be, but still. Um, simultaneous winners and losers, Ottawa. Yep. <laughs> like, again, no way you lose those three players and come out as winners. But they somehow didn't botch any of the trades and actually came out a, like all together better than we expected their prospect pool is now really insane and yeah. they have a ton of picks coming up although theirs isn't one of them uh and i'm looking down at my paper here in grade Ooh, someone scratched it out and wrote fuck your grade oh that's columbus <laughs> <laughs> we don't give a shit about what about what your grade is sorry to the kids listening and now the team that's happy with their trade deadline and we have to come in with the actually <laughs> The Pittsburgh Penguins, I'm sorry, you did not improve. Eric Goodbranson is moving the needle the other way for you. Yeah, I'm wondering how long they'll have to deal with Rutherford because, yes, they do have three cups in however many uh, years, and that'll get them along, like bring them a long way, but this is not doing a good job of maximizing uh, Crosby and Malkin. What do you do if you're Mike Sullivan? Do you separate? Good Branson and Jack Johnson, meaning one of them has to play in your top four? Or do you put them together on your bottom pairing and let chaos reign? Uh, you drive them into the forest and you say, hey, look, <laughs> a puck. And then you drive and then away. There's no way Good Branson's getting that puck. <laughs> and then he stays in the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, an eventful deadline. We'll see how things uh, hammer out over the next few days. But all in all, um, hey, from a broadcaster standpoint, we're pretty appreciative of all the content. That was actually... Thanks, guys. Thanks, and we, NHL. And we, and we even glazed over some uh, some interesting trades for the sake of time. Yeah. Uh, so after the deadline, of course, it's typical for general managers to go on the record about their strategies, the trades they made, the trades they didn't, you know, what happened behind the scenes. And, vener- and very generic yeah. GM speak. Uh, so Ken Holland, we already talked about what he said about the trades, really. Um, Nyquist only said one team that he wouldn't go to, otherwise Ottawa. Um, there wasn't really a market for Howard. Uh, he just felt he pulled the trigger when he felt the, the, the time was right and he had the deal he wanted, which, you know, was at midnight 
Thanks, Kenny. Yeah, um, and based on how the Johansson and other trades broke down, it, the market did not go up in the last minute. So whatever. In fact, based on Simmons' return, it looked like it actually dropped a little bit. I'm I wouldn't like. I'm not surprised that the return came back as it did. Sure, there's a chance that he he did another Tatar, but you have to understand how rare that is. Teams rarely get returns like Holland did for Tatar. Tatar had term. People forget that. Yeah, Tatar had term. Uh, younger by a year, I believe, and was score like they wanted a goal scorer, and that's what he does. Um, some things that Ken Holland said, stemming off the Cronwall conversation, because when they were asking about the potential trade for him, which isn't the issue, the issue is is they asked about his retirement, and it was suggested Ken Holland said if Cronwall wants to come back, he can come back. I'm going to talk to him about it. That is wrong. <laughs> First of all, no, stop it. Stop this stupid mentality of letting players, legacy players that you're loyal to, decide their place on this team. That it, this is not a me- an adult men's league. This is not you know a poker club where it's hard to kick one guy out in favor of a, a different. Play. This isn't. This is the NHL. You're trying to rebuild. There's so many different aspects you have to consider roster space you have to consider cap you have to consider ice time Cronwell first of all shouldn't be coming back he should be retiring I'm sorry but if he's if if he wasn't going to be traded at the deadline out of respect for him and what he's done for the team which is the right move the thing coming the other way has to be he can't be expecting a roster spot on this team next year but it's also not up to him you're the general manager you have to remove that legacy and that respect and that loyalty you have to that player away from the situation that's it Cronwell cannot just decide that he wants to come back next year. Your decision with the future of this team, the Chalowskis, the Hironics, the Hicketts, the Shulaks, and whoever else needs that roster spot cannot be dictated by Cronwell deciding whether he wants to play for, you know, you're telling me that this decision is going to be made Cronwell sitting in the living room with his family? And this isn't a, a slight on Cronwell. I under I can respect the guy I wanted to come back. He's done so much for this team. And if he wants to play professional hockey, yeah, obviously, but the team just made the decision to not trade him because, they, you know, you, you let the guy retire in Detroit. And Ken Holland, it shouldn't be up to I'm Like, it just blows my mind that he even said that. Out. The same guy who said all those things that were correct that we talked about said that. And it just blew my mind. So I'm going to put an asterisk on this. So uh, let's look at big picture here. There's seven defensive spots that will be available next year. Okay. That's how many defensemen you carry on an NHL roster. We know, I would say right now, five of those have to be filled by specific players. Mike Green, Danny DeKaiser, because they have to be. They're not, you're not moving those contracts, and they're actually valuable defensemen the way they play. Dennis Cholowski, Philip Ronick, because obviously, and I'll say Madison Bowie. Loosely, you have to know what you have. Right, you can't. He can't. He's not waiver. He, you cannot send him down. He has to go through waivers. You're missing two players right now. I'm missing a lot of players right now. I'm saying the players that have to be on this roster. Okay, those are the five. Everything else is subjective. For those last two spots, you have Daly, Erickson, Cronwall, Hicketts, Shulak. Okay. I don't care that much who those two spots go to. So long as those other five guys are getting regular playing time. So if Cronwell wants to come back, be the seventh defenseman, play 20 games, and because of it, they buy out Erickson and put Daly in that last spot, sure. 
if they bring Cronwell back, they trade daily buyout Erickson and Hicketts as a seventh defenseman. Sure. Why sure, though? Because you still have to buy out those guys. That has cap implications. I agree. I don't love it. No, it's, it's not ideal, but it's yeah. not just ideal. That's bad. In my mind, that is objectively poor management. Yeah. This is a Nicholas, team that is Nicholas Cronwell is bad, but Daly and Erickson are worse. No, no, no. This isn't about <laughs> like this isn't even about hockey because this team yeah. like it's it's your this team is of the worst in the league spending straight to the cap. Go to capfriendly.com. Tell me the first team that comes up. It's sorted by how much of the cap they're spending. Like Detroit is spending to the cap. Stop making these dumb moves. That continue to handcuff the team. They're still paying for Weiss's buyout. Oh, for, and Willette. And Willette. Uh, uh, what's it called? The LTIR is filled with uh, Zetterberg, uh, Zetterberg and, and Franzen. They cannot. Why, don't buy out. They shouldn't have to buy out these guys. Oh, I know. I know. It's a simple move. Don't bring Cronwell back. Offer him a spot in player development, the front office. Make him the GM. I don't give a shit. <laughs> don't bring him back. And here's the thing: Erickson and Erickson and Daly, they're like they're not going to be moved. Their contracts dictate that they'll be there. Find me a version of Jeff Blashill that's not going to play those guys. <laughs> well, Erickson was recently a healthy scratch. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think there's something in the water in Detroit right now. People are acting a little. Funny. I know. There, I saw. I saw a tweet today where they said Bowie's going to play uh, against Montreal tomorrow, and I just responded, "Well, sorry, Philip, because <laughs> you know Heronic's getting the scratch." Here's the thing. Uh, I disagree. I, this is minor. I'm not going to be up in arms about this, but I actually disagree about Bowie. I think long term, it would be. I don't prioritize him over. Heronic I don't prioritize him, but I'm also you have him. You have to find out what you have in him. You, 20, that's what the rest of the season's for, though. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I don't know if that's enough time for him to adapt to a new system. So to give the guy a fair shake, I think you got to give him at least the first half of next season. If it doesn't work out by the deadline, you can do whatever you need to do, right? But I think you at least need to give the guy a fair shake. I don't think he's a needle mover, but he's he's got the talent to be a good bottom-pairing defenseman. Now, consi- so he skates like the wind and he's big. He could be Nick Jensen. <laughs> here's here's we just differed on that opinion and we can argue about Cronwell ad nauseum and I'm sure it's going to come up in future episodes we're not going to linger too much I already yep. yelled at the mic enough something that we're going to agree on almost definitely the comments about Jeff Blashill <sighs> sorry if the mic picked that up the it was heavily implied uh, Helene St. James just came out and said the expectation is he'll be resigned. Or extended, whatever you want to call it. Here's the thing. That's bad and stupid. Ken Holland <laughs> can do all the right things and slowly get better and slowly adapt and maybe see the writing on the wall and then slowly do the things that he should have done a long time ago to save his job. But here's the reality of it. People don't change. This organization won't change until you change the people. The decision to extend Jeff Blashill would be a tacit error would be counter to all of the actual evidence which has been the Detroit Red Wings and the hockey they've been playing over the last three or four years, it would be a huge mistake. And this starts at the general manager. Ken Holland needs to go because Jeff Blashill also needs to go. The, Ken, if Ken Holland came out and said, obviously he wouldn't say it in that presser, but if he didn't say anything about extending him and then found a new coach that started running new systems and started to adapt to the team that he has... I would hear the I I Brian Hanna would hear the argument for keeping Ken Holland a little longer. 
But this is like this. That's it. That's the line in the sand for me. He's not. You're. We're not getting a different Ken Holland. He might flex. He might bend. This guy's not breaking. He is who he is. Jeff Blashill cannot come. Jeff Blashill can't come back as head coach, right? So, I think I think Ken Holland's head is in the right place here. He's just. This is just a severe misjudgment of character and results. Because Holland said he likes the way <laughs> he likes the way the young guys have developed under Blashill. Oh. God. And to me, that is the biggest argument against Blashill. The argument I would hear for Blashill at this point is, since January 1st, Detroit's uh, shot share and metrics have actually improved. This team it looks like, in That's a lot of ways... four months out of a four-year span. I know, I know. But it looks like you can at least see some on-ice improvements from certain players. Cholosky regressed as the season went on. Okay, so you're telling me that after he got to Jeff Blashill at the beginning of the year, he was great, and they got worse? Well, only Blashill was the only guy coaching him at that time. Um, for some reason, Philip Peronik is not a regular in this lineup, despite putting up a half a point per game in the NHL. As a goddamn rookie, or close to it, which is insane as a rookie defenseman, um, but he's still not up there. And you can say, yeah, Larkin's better, Mantha's better, Athanasiu's better. They're getting older. Of course they're getting better. And they've all gone through slumps. Causation. Correlation does not equal causation. Just because their numbers have went up does not mean that is Blashill that is doing that. I still argue there is a few players on this team that, and and, and Anthony Mantha is the biggest one for me, that with proper development coaching would be way ahead of where they're at right now. 100% agreed. 60 games into the season, we should not still be worried about what line Michael Rasmussen is on on any given night. Right, no. like that, that, just like plain and simple. That's the kind of crap that we're dealing with. I agree that Jeff Blashill is a smart guy. Jeff Blashill knows hockey, and Jeff Blashill did a fantastic job in Grand Rapids. For whatever reasons, he just he doesn't translate that into coaching the Detroit Red Wings. The you're like it's not just a simple misjudgment when you say the single biggest flaw, major flaw in the way he's coaching is seen as a positive attribute by management. In my mind, that is a that is more than one lapse. That is a defining characteristic that will make you make poor decisions time and time again. Like, that is just a core part. Like, if he looks at <laughs> the body of work that Jeff Plashel's put forward and all these young guys, where you and I just both agree that they're not where they should be, and he says, yeah, that's A-OK, gold star, you can come back. I'm sorry, but that's it. Like, that's no, that's, that's just objectively wrong that's like standing still on the sidewalk of a high or on the side of the road next to a highway you see a chevy cavalier just blow past at 140 kilometers an hour and you go wow that car's fast <laughs> that's what ken holland's doing right now because he sees dylan larkin and andre Sanders, he's blowing by and putting up these points and he's like wow they they developed well yeah no they, that's not <laughs> no it's uh, like <laughs> it's like standing in ottawa right now and going this is a good hockey team here yeah i believe in what's happening they're a team they hardly anymore <laughs> They even lost that. No, to me, to me, the perfect example. I think I'm going to come off the. I Jeff Blashill's not an NHL coach because I think that's unfair to him. And again, I don't know what he would do with a good team because again, there's no way around it. The Red Wing, the Red Wings are objectively bad as a hockey team. Um, Sunday I think was the shining spotlight moment of everything that's wrong with Jeff Blashill. Philip Zadina has nine games this year. Nine. That's it. No more. No less. He's getting nine. They cannot exceed that number. Meaning you have to maximize every little bit of those nine games. 
And in Philip Zina's first NHL game on Sunday, he played on a line with a defensive center, Luke Lendenning, and a struggling rookie, Michael Rasmussen, neither of whom are even competent playmakers at the NHL level. And Philip Zadina played, I think it was less than 30 seconds total on the power play. Not that that was all his fault, but still. Philip Zadina played 10 and a half minutes total, and none of it was in what I would consider. I think he played one shift where I would say that's a good situation for him to thrive, and I think it was with three minutes left in a game. They threw him out there with, uh, I want to say it was Larkin and Bertuzzi to get a shift. And... I think that was the only shift he spent in the offensive zone the whole game. It was It's just crap like that infuriates me. And I'm not going to sit here and say if we gave Philip Zadina 16, 17 minutes that game that he would have scored 100 goals and, and blew the, the roof off. What I'm saying is these games don't matter anymore. Playing Justin Ablocator and Darren Helm 15 minutes doesn't matter and actually, sorry, Glenn Denning got pulled off Zadina's line halfway through the game because can't have that offensive of a center, so they switched it to Jacob Del La Rose and then gave him even less ice time. Detroit, The Detroit Red Wings went 26 minutes of that game without a shot on net, and I think Philip Zadina played three and a half of those 26 minutes, I think was the count. It's just... I, it's just a misjudgment of what your job is as the Detroit Red Wings head coach right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that's all it is. As soon as Athanasiu got some runway, he took off this year. Uh, Larkin's always had runway, but he's taken off. As soon as Mantha got up in the last 10 games on the first line with Larkin, he took off. How is he not seeing that the young guys, when they're put in a position to succeed, tend to succeed? It's... And if you can say, oh, they're not competing hard enough for it's a defensive flaw, my counter-argument is, then teach them! Jeff Blaschel always coaches every single game the same way, as if there's 30 games left in the season and Detroit's hovering anywhere from 7 to 9, or like uh, uh, in the playoffs or just a spot out. Every single game. And that's just not the case. So where I differ on Zadina is, we, we hardly talked about this. We did a live stream for the patrons and uh, for Zadina's first game. But hey, Zadina played his first game. Exciting. Uh, he'll have eight no, more. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I, it was exciting leading up to it. It was exciting. Yeah, the, the notion of it is exciting. Um, I agree that he did not have a good situation. I think some of that is his usage. And I think some of that is the fact that he plays on a bad hockey team. Uh, secondly, I was expecting this to be a low minutes game. There's... There's no way they would throw him out for more than 10 minutes, honestly. I, I knew it was coming. Yeah. It, it's the wrong call. He should have been, whatever the first power play unit was, he should have been on it so that you could maximize his power play opportunity. He should have been playing top six because he's not a bottom six forward. Anybody can tell you he's not a bottom six forward. He should never play a game in the NHL in a bottom six capacity. His <sighs> style is not built for that. He can't do it. If the Detroit Red Wings were one of those teams that employed a third-line scoring line, sure, but they don't do... Not that they can do that, but they don't do that. But Brad, he's not ready to play top six with, with Justin Abdelkader. He hasn't graduated there yet. <laughs> so here's where here's the good thing that Colin... I think Brad was actually mad at me for that one. <laughs> so here's the good thing that Ken Holland did, even if it accidentally... He got rid of one of Blashill's toys. We all love Gus Nyquist, but Gus Nyquist was a vet, so he would get a ton of ice time no matter the situation. 
And he deserved it. He, he played deserved he, like, it. He, but that is a top six spot that has now opened up. And guess what? Blashill, I don't know if Holland explicitly said these things to Blashill, but Blashill went on record as saying, Andreas Athanasiu is now playing center for the rest of the season. And Andreas's, Andreas Athanasiu's line for tomorrow night in Montreal is he is going to be centering Tyler Bertuzzi and Philip Zadina. That is literally the perfect, most exciting. If you had to pick a pure chaos excitement line, yeah, a Columbus like, Blue Jackets line, if you will. Yeah. I, That's I would, it. I would like Zadina to be playing with more of a playmaker than Larkin, but if we're just going for F it, let's see what happens. <laughs> this is the line. Yeah. You've got the, the Tyler Bertuzzi wrecking ball. You've got uh, the highway to hell Andreas Athanasiu, and you've got the net filler and Zadina. Lego. This is a Roman candle fight. This is throwing <laughs> sparklers into a bar. Like, this is... Absolutely the best silver line to come out of getting rid of Nyquist. So then what's going to be the first line, actually, now that I think about it? That's going to uh, be Larkin. Larkin, Mantha, Helm is what was... Which I'm appreciative that's not Abdelkader. I am, too. I was worried after that really nice assist he had yesterday that that was going to happen. That was a gorgeous pass. <laughs> no. He had We're, two points. That, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Helm being up there, I'm okay with that. They, Helm they started had, the year on the top line, and his numbers were fine. He wasn't scoring, but he was. He did the dirty work, which would might save Larkin some energy. So I don't love it, but I don't hate it. But I'm ready for the chaos oh. that that second line is going to be. Absolutely. Wait, so are we talking about third line center Franz Nielsen now? Uh, for the first six minutes of the game before he shuffles it. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Philip Zadina is going to be on a line with Michael Rasmussen and Jacob Delarose again. Yeah. <laughs> before the Zamboni. But we, like, ice in the we like to pretend it's not going to happen until it does, you know? We can, well, to be fair, remember Zina's quote. He's going to fill Otto and Montreal's nets. Uh, it's Montreal tomorrow. Oh, I can't wait. If he scores his first NHL goal against Montreal, I'm going to have to go to the doctors because there is no chance that erection lasts <laughs> for less than four hours. <laughs> With that, uh, we are going to head over to Overtime now, uh, which, of course, is brought to you by our amazing, amazing Patreon patrons. Um, they were treated to a live stream of Zadina's first game. They watched along with us on Sunday. Uh, this week, I believe Wednesday or Thursday, will be our uh, monthly, February's monthly uh, Patreon-exclusive episode. And uh, as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show, their comments get read out on air, guaranteed is our way of saying thank you. Uh, I posted this like two hours ago and it already has 14 comments uh hunter saunders says i'm probably in the minority but i'm pretty okay with the gust return also what are the odds we run 11 forwards and 70 to get bowie in and avoid scratching erickson or daily i swear if we scratch heronic anyways have a good night guys they've already said they're carrying 11 forwards for tomorrow that's confirmed yeah uh no recalls coming so i guess well okay it's not that they can't put Witkowski in at forward there, but reading between the lines, it looks like they're going to run 11 and 7 tomorrow. Chris Gatchel says, what's up, guys? I just want to say I called Nyquist to the Sharks. I just thought he'd be a great piece there. Uh, sharks are scary good. Also, I saw that Holland reporting that he's thinking of extending Blash, saying he's been happy with how he develops young players. Zadina under 10 minutes on the third line. If he does get an extension, is it the end of the world? Um third line that's generous they played the fourth most amount of minutes but if he gets an extension there's going to be a lot of you know bending of reality and saying well you know if you consider this in my that's my line in the stand it truly is like i've i know i've drawn these lines everywhere and i've stepped over them a lot but i can't see myself getting past that one see the one thing where i have hope is that the Red Wings are going to be bad again next year, but I think Holland thinks they're going to be good. So if it all goes tits up in October, maybe maybe they'll just let him go. 
Maybe. <laughs> Joe Caboose 119Z Falzone says, I'm so sad about Goose. I'm good with the return, but he's the guy that changed me from a Wings fan to a diehard hockey nerd. Uh, what do you think of Lark's comments? Hoping Goose comes back next season. Um, I actually didn't see him say that. I, I, I do hope he does for the right price. And when you get a player of Goose's caliber, you do have some flexibility on what you can stomach in terms of price. So that... Of course, you would want to see him back. I'm just not holding out hope because it's never really a, a rational thing to hold out for that. Uh, now that Stone is off the market, damn it, GM, GM, one of the best GM nicknames. Um, who else is ahead of Gus at forward for the team besides Panarin and Duchesne? Uh, I know we'll need to fill these spots with Gino, Zadina, Valeno, and our first this year, but we're really thin at forward with Gus gone. Yeah, Detroit uh, doesn't have a ton of depth. Um, that's why I'm lukewarm. If Gus comes back or not, they they could easily find spots for everybody. But getting back to another conversation and hate beating on the same negative drum over and over again. If Detroit was a team that deployed three scoring lines, this would be fantastic. But since that's not the case, yeah. Um, that being said, I don't know the last time Plashell actually had nine forwards capable of offense at the same time, so he <laughs> might do it. Now, now that I think about it, I don't know if he legitimately could with this roster as it is. Um. But yeah, I I don't know. I'm next season there with that much cap space and and this many UFAs coming up that are still on the roster, Vanek, you know, Cronwall, Witkowski, et cetera, et cetera. There is so much that could happen. I I as much as I would love to speculate, it's it's uh, really in the, it's that's yeah. pitch black looking at that right now. Yeah. Jonathan McLeish says, uh, why were people complaining about the retained salary in the Nyquist trade? Am I missing any negative impact it has on our wings? Or is it simply that it looks bad in an overall assessment of who won the trade? No, it's not bad on the wings. It's good on the Sharks. That's all. Yep. Yeah. People who are complaining don't really understand. Uh, overall, the trades were a bit meh. But with the Nyquist no trade clause and rumors, he was big on San Jose. It didn't leave Holland in the best bargaining position. At least we got a team to root for now. Yeah, that's true. Ravens fans can root for the Sharks in the West. I'm here for Nyquist and Carlson and Thornton winning I, a cup. I like that Nyquist went somewhere with Carlson. I like yeah. that the Swedish Mafia sticks together. Uh, Brendan B. Singer says, On one hand, the Red Wings being a train wreck and probably extending Blashill and Cronwall sucks. On the other hand, the deadline was big and these playoffs are going to be awesome. That being said, who are your guys' post-deadline Stanley Cup final predictions? Thanks as always. Oh, <laughs> Christ. Tampa uh, Bay out of the East still. Yeah, Tampa Bay, uh, they will be my pick until further notice. And then in the West, a three-headed dog of Winnipeg, uh, Nashville, and Vegas. Oh, God, I have San Jose in there, too. And I still, even though I don't like their deadline, I still don't rule out Calgary. Um, I'll man. say Winnipeg. I'll say Winnipeg, Tampa. Same as last year, Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, because I'm a boring old man. I really... How do you pick against Winnipeg? Forget, well, forget Nyquist. Honestly, I have a hard time betting against San Jose's defense right now. Classic Burns, Carlson, my God. Carlson's injured right now. Yeah, but he won't be for playoffs. They're going to rest him up as much as they need. If he is injured, then yeah, I probably default to uh, to Winnipeg then. It's so hard because the West, the contenders in the West, Calgary excluded, um, did a fantastic job of sh- sh- like shoring up their teams. We're going to see how these next few weeks go to really make that assessment. But yeah, I'm going to stick with the boring Winnipeg Tampa prediction. Uh, Warm Chord Music says, what impact do you think giving up Nyquist and Jensen will have on the lose for Hughes sweepstakes? Also, how unwatchable is this team going to be once Adina goes back to Grand Rapids? Yikes. 
well, lose for Hughes sweepstakes. Uh, it's going to help them get below the other teams that made trades, but no one's going to be worse than Ottawa. So Detroit was 27th in the NHL in goals against, and then they got rid of their best defensive defenseman. Uh, the Red Wings were 23rd in goals for, and then they got rid of their second leading scorer. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be rough. Yeah, so uh, focus on the silver silver linings uh, when Zadina goes back down. Brad Spencer says, Every deadline I find myself going through the timelines of beat writers for other teams. Who are, your favorite, who are some of your favorite non-Red Wings beat writers around the NHL other than friend of the program, Allison Lucan? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, um, Tampa has... Greg Smith is his name? Something... Um, for humor content, Sarah Sivian in Carolina is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah she Sarah's is on great. point. Um, for just being accurate and reporting good stuff, Portsline in Columbus is good. Russo in Minnesota is good. Um, there's a bunch, man. It's hard to think of them off the top of my head. Leafs is Leafs are filled with great writers and and uh, reporters. Uh, let's see. Joe Smith. Sorry, not Greg Smith. Joe Smith at Tampa Bay. I really yeah. like, um, I think he also writes for the, yeah, he's also with the athletic. Um, Hey, he's a Michigan grad. <laughs> yeah. Joe's a great follow. Um, yeah, there's a ton and the times like this, the trade deadline and a draft when everyone's really active is a great way to get insight into that. Hey, if you're on Twitter, follow at winged wheel pod, <laughs> go to the bio and follow our individual accounts. We have been not on there he- like, like Mad Men lately. Uh, I was kind of on there today. I had to, you know, work like an adult today. So I, I took the was... afternoon off. Malati King uh, Garrett TV says, at the moment, with a likely high first and three second round picks, what should be the draft strategy come June? I'm assuming you've probably discussed this, but if not, curious of your thoughts as we now have seven and possibly eight picks in total in the first two rounds combined for 2019 and 2020. I've crunched the numbers and determined that's a lot of high value picks, even if a few are late in the second. Okay. I'm going to preface this by saying always go best player available. And I'm also going to say, holy shit, do we need a centerman? So, yeah. Uh, Obviously, when you have like a top pick, you go best player available. If you're talking, you have some choices like they did it around the McIsaac range last year. You take, you go for like the, if you have a Valeno opportunity again, a Bergeron opportunity, unless there is a project defenseman like Merkley available. Okay. So, Take this for how it works. If we're just talking about types of players that they are stylistically, not talking about where Detroit's going to pick versus yada, 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 although these guys are all going to be in that neighborhood. The players in the top 10 that the Red Wings need are Jack Hughes, Bowen Byram, uh, Trevor Zegris, Alex Turcotte, Kirby Doc. They need either... A top pairing two-way offensive defenseman or a playmaking center. Look at the Red Wings roster right now in terms of passers. They don't have one. <laughs> they they don't. They're they just, just an applicator. Don't have Do you a not playmaker. See that pass? Larkin for Larkin has been doing a great job of being that playmaker, even though that's not his thing. They need a guy who that's his thing. A Nicholas Backstrom, a Patrice Bergeron, just someone who is just an elite playmaker. Who Detroit does at not that have spot one. will be the best player available. Exactly. So what I'm saying is, if you value, I'm just going to say Dylan Cousins and Trevor Zegers equally, 
you take Zegris because Cousins is a goal scorer. Zegris is a playmaker. Detroit needs the playmaker. Uh, Andrew Schreeman says it was surprising to hear the rumors about Cronwall and Vanek. I still do not understand why Holland gave Vanek a no-trade clause in the first place. Uh, considering we're basically going to have the exact same roster and coaching staff for next season, is it too early to start talking about top prospects for 2020? Uh, Alexi Lafreniere, Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, Quinton Byfield, Jamie Drysdale, Cole Perfetti, in that order. Uh Kevin Hart says, with the extra second rounders we have and the amount of draft picks used over the past uh, last couple of years, do you see Holland possibly bundling a couple of picks and trying to move into the late first to try and get another falling prospect like a Valeno last year? Or staying with the idea of more picks, the better the chances of hitting and keeping the seconds? Keeping in mind that guys like Valeno falling like that is extremely rare. Keep the picks, throw darts. Again, statistically speaking, picks 20 to 60, not not a whole lot different in terms of who hits and who doesn't because at that point you're picking guys with flaws and you're just hoping that the the top end part of their game outweighs the flaw or they can at least mask the flaw enough to become a regular um again like i think it was who was a kucherov you go back and look at his scouting reports there was a lot of flaws there but the offensive upside everybody knew was there so you just put, take a swing and hope the rest of his game pans out and it did so, you know, that's a guy like Pavel Dorofiev in this draft who's not scheduled to go until the second round. You just you take a flyer on a guy like that and you hope. Uh, Jared Mello says, I read that Athanasiu continued to receive some interest today. Are there any prospects that would be reasonable to pursue with him as the main trade asset? Yes, many. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them, no team would be willing to give them up. No, not with the... Athanasiu has been great and been exploding in terms of value around the league, but I don't think teams would be willing to pay what he's worth. Oh, right Colorado, now. you need scoring depth. Yeah, sure, we could use a Kale McCarr, and Colorado would be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Jacob Lozen says February twenty fourth, location LCA two fifty nine. Doug Wilson, we want Nyquist. Best we can do is a second round pick. Ken Holland replies, LMAO, okay, he might be worth the first tomorrow at 2 p.m., but I'll take a second-round pick if he scores. But he flies back tonight with you. 7.23, or 19.23 into the first period, Ken Holland shouts, Ferk! <laughs> and that's how it went down in my head, at least. <laughs> uh, Evan Beckner says, hey, guys, I'll keep it short. I'm satisfied with Kenny's job this deadline. Looking forward to Brad's rundown of second-round prospects. <laughs> We're getting there, man. I just, I've barely worked my way through the first round already. <laughs> Uh, some hashtag ask WWP questions on Twitter. Jake Nagy says, with the wings stockpiling tons of second and thirds, could you see them? This is preparing for a blockbuster offer sheet this summer. Nope, because you need firsts if you want a a blockbuster offer sheet. Uh, and Detroit can't be giving up first. I, I really wish Ken Holland didn't say anything about offer sheets because out of all the teams in the league in a position to give offer sheets, Detroit isn't one of them. Iserbaz says, suppose we better start studying second-round picks uh, for this draft, given all those uh, given all those picks. Any names to watch out for? Look out for that in the coming weeks, I'd say. Yeah, uh, first one that comes off the top of my head that I see in the second round of most mocks is Dorofiev. He's very highly skilled, putting up more numbers than um, Pud Colson in the same league, but has uh, bigger question marks in his game. So we shall see. Um, but yeah, well, what do we get? Because Washington's second was next year, right? So we have ours, the Islanders, and San Jose's seconds this year, right? Yeah, let me look at that. Because so we got three. I'm this currently year. on Cliff Pooh's cap friendly page. Okay. <laughs> um, this year we have our first, our second, the Islanders second, the Sharks second, and then Columbus is fifth. 
That's like those are the other teams. Those are the extras. So ten picks still, and then we've got Washington second next year, and San Jose's maybe third next year. Which it will it will be a third, or it could be a second. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then we have Vegas's third the year after that. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So there's quite a bit there. Uh, Holographic Charizard says, uh, "Shy move for Gus for a second and a third when re-signing him is better." Basically asking is re-signing him better than the second and the third that they got? No. Because they could still resign him in the summer. Yeah, it's it's that's a tough like again, all the criticism for Ken Holland. That's not one of rebuilding them. team. Futures um, versus a thirty-year-old should trump out almost every time. Chris Nova says can't defend the no trade clauses and bloated contracts, but I can't be too upset that the Red Wings want to resign Howard. Would be nice if Howard was actually resigned right now, though. Yeah, I don't love the fact that they went through the deadline without an extension. Uh, I would have been angry had that happened with Nyquist or Jensen, but from everything, it sounds like the Red Wings want to keep Howard, and it sounds like Howard wants to stay, so I, I can't imagine that not getting done. Yeah. Uh, we will head over to Reddit, where we have time for a few comments as I navigate over there. Um, should you talk about our uh, giveaway, or we'll do that after? Yeah, we'll do that after. By judging by the look on your face, <laughs> not sure you know. Yeah, I forgot the parameters of how we were gonna. Yeah, uh, Jacques Strap says I like the moves Holland made. Others may not agree, but in the long term, he's setting a team up nicely for an Eiserman takeover and a semi-clean slate. It's not perfect, but it'll work out in the end. Wish Nyquist and Jensen well. Meanwhile, Poyle in Nashville over here doing vintage Holland moves and stacking his team for a cup run while dumping picks like an uh, Chell nineteen <laughs> for quad. Don't read that if Mika's present. It'll work out in short term, but it will cause them problems in the years to come with cap issues and not many standouts in their talent pool, uh, with the exception of Tolvanen. What can Poyle learn from Ken Holland from this strategy, or is he doing better than Kenny did? Uh, I mean, he's got a really stacked team right now. It's hard to really get mad at him for that. Exactly. Yeah, like, I think he's making the right moves, honestly. Like, yeah, you might deplete your, your pick pool and your prospect pool, but when you're this close to a cup, you throw everything in the kitchen sink of that team to make it better right now uh white snake 87 says st james is reporting holland is planning to extend blashill thoughts ah well you heard him uh i don't believe blashill's done anything to warrant an extension we've seen regression in the four years he's been here rebuild or not his personnel decisions are questionable at best and it just seems like good timing for a coaching change rather than an extension Happier note: Joe Valeno's currently leading the queue with 96 points in 50 games, and he's pl- yeah, and he's played four less games than uh, the guy he's tied for the scoring lead with. Yeah, P- players who leave for the World Juniors never win their league scoring title. That doesn't happen because they've been gone. Joe Valeno was away from his league for over three weeks, yeah. and he still leads the league in scoring, not points per game. He has the total points lead now. It's insane. And do you know what defenseman in the queue has the best points per game? That's right. Jared McIsaac. The queue is ours, boys. <laughs> We've won Quebec. <laughs> Next, the world. Uh, with that, we're going to do our little episode wrap-up. So it's the end of the year. Uh, it's about that time again. We are going to be doing uh, one of our major giveaways, which is a uh, two tickets to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, and against... It's April 6th against the Buffalo Sabres. It's their last game of the season. Yep. So you, we're going to be giving away two tickets. One of them will be Patreon exclusive. And one of them will be open for everyone, patrons included. So you guys get to double dip. Um, and your entries are automatically entered, so you don't have to worry about that. And you have a chance at bonus entries via Twitter, which is how everyone else will. So uh, we'll put we'll, we'll tweet out this episode uh, a couple times. And you'll have the opportunity to um, retweet and follow. And you get bonus entries for following us, the whole bit. 
Um, again, that is uh, the chance to win a ticket along with one other person to watch the Red Wings at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit on April 6th face off against the Buffalo Sabres to wrap up uh, the 2018-2019 season with the host of the Winged Wheel podcast. So you'll get to meet us. We'll hang out. And of course, guys, we'll be doing our meetup beforehand. So keep an eye out for details on that. Um, we'll, that'll I'll make that Brad's job to uh, we'll probably go to the same place this time. And uh, yeah, so w- more details for that to come. But keep an eye out on Twitter for that contest. Um, on Twitter, follow at Winged Wheel Pod. Follow our individual accounts. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. Thank you to everyone who tuned in for our trade deadline coverage. This was a hell of a year. Uh, I'd like to thank our name level sponsors, um, the people who make this show happen. Sean Levine, Chad Hiersack, uh, Sky Carcass, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Langabeer, Derek Shippard, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, Hannah Lee. Thank you guys so much. If you guys want to support the show in other ways, subscribe however you get it. Like however you get wherever you're on the podcast. Leave ratings wherever you can. It's huge for us. You guys have been amazing with iTunes lately. Um, great job on staying awake and alive on the uh, trade deadline and rest rest those thumbs. Mm-hmm.